And we're going to open in God's word to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to continue looking at, at Philippians as we join so many of the refreshed churches in the area who are also looking at, at the letter to the church in Philippi this month. So um, if you want to keep Pastor Steve Wessing from Brick Baptist Church in your prayers, this week he was rushed up to Janesville to the Mercy Hospital, and the thought was that he had a stroke. And I received word just uh, this morning that it's not a stroke, but they're not exactly sure what it is. I don't know, Craig, if you have any kind of update, but they're still trying to determine that, right? So we'll want to keep Brick Baptist in our, in our prayers, and instead of talking about it, let's do it. Lord, we come to you bringing Brick, Brick Baptist to you right now. Lord, they're more than likely meeting today. I would imagine Bill is opening your word, and so I pray as a congregation, as they wonder about their their shepherd, Lord, unsure of what's going on. We're so grateful that you know. And so we pray that you'd be doing a, a mighty work there, Lord, and that you'd give the doctors wisdom as to what's happening with Pastor Steve. Lord, I thank you for him. He's a man who loves your word and loves to proclaim truth. And so I pray that you'd touch him, be with his wife and kids at this time as well. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good to be able to pray for the other churches in our area, isn't it? So many of them proclaiming God's truth. Well, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, and so I wonder if any of you have any sort of uncertainty in your life right now. As you're, as you're sitting here, are there things in your life and, and you're just uncertain about them? You're uncertain about how to go forward. You're uncertain of, of what things you need to be doing, and... Uh, it's interesting because the passage this week that we're going to look at, Paul illustrates for us how we can have great certainty in times of uncertainty. And I think as I've looked in my life, there's been times of great uncertainty, and there's been other times when I'm, when I'm just kind of wondering what's going on, and then there's other times where I've been totally clueless. Um, and each one of those times as I've been able to, to learn and lean on what I know with certainty, it's helped me. And the more that I come to know Christ, the more that I know who he is, the more I'm able to hold on to that certainty. I don't know about you, but I got pretty excited in the video when, when I watch heaven coming together. And it gets really exciting, doesn't it, to, to stop and consider what heaven will be like? You do know that heaven's better than here, right? Yeah. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> right? And you do know that, that part of the joy of coming to know Christ is, is coming to an absolute assurance that heaven waits for us. So the gospel brings great assurance and joy, and we know that to be true. As Paul's written this letter to the Philippians and, and also so many of the things that we looked at in Colossians, this, this letter in Philippians has so much to do with joy. And it's mentioned so many times throughout this letter to, to have joy, to rejoice, and those things. But, but it's important to notice what it is that Paul leans on that, that allows him to experience that joy. And it's the gospel. It's the gospel that's the, the center of this letter in the, to the church in Philippi, I would suggest to you, because 
The gospel is the center of all that Paul is and all that he does. And you'll remember as we looked at the first section and we looked about how Paul said, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He talked about how he wanted them to be filled with the fruit of righteousness, just showering off of them so that they could bring glory and praise to God. And then last week we looked at how this is a section, last week and this week, we're looking at at the report that Paul's sending back to this supporting church that he had. The church in Philippi, in so many ways, was the main supporting church for Paul. We're told in Scripture, and we'll look at this a little later, that when no other churches were supporting Paul's ministry, they were. And so they were in a way, the, his sending church and his supporting church and, and much, of, much of the finances that he needed to stay in ministry came through this group of people. And so he started last week with a report and, and you know how we looked at that, that in our situations it, it, we can actually advance the gospel if we understand that. And he talked about how because of the situation he was in, the gospel was moving in, in amazing and mighty ways. And now as he continues, he's going to talk uh, again about his report as he, as he reports back to them only it takes a little different flavor last week we looked at the, the truth that he said what, what does it matter chapter 1 verse 18 the important thing is that in every way whether from false motives or true Christ is preached and because of this I rejoice and we looked at when the true gospel is being proclaimed, we can rejoice. And not that a false gospel is being portrayed, but the true gospel. And that urges and encourages us as believers not to get so tightly wound around second, secondary issues. So we can rejoice with, with wherever we hear the gospel proclaimed. And then Paul starts and he says, yes, I will continue to rejoice. I will continue to rejoice. So last week we looked at, I am rejoicing. Now he says, I continue to rejoice. And it's almost as he's speaking this as a resolve. I resolve that I will rejoice. And he encourages the Philippian church to step in this with him. So let's look at the passage. Chapter 1, verse 18b and forward. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of the Jesus Christ that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, it will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Lord God, as we take a look at your word, I I just praise you, Father. Praise you that you've inspired 
your word and that it is infallible, it cannot fail, and that it's inherent. There are no errors within it, Lord, and it is truth. And Lord, each of us spend our, our week being impacted and bombarded with lies. I pray for this next few minutes as we look at your truth, that your truth would wash over us and that your truth would change our lives and change us into the men and women that you've designed for us to be, Lord God. Clear away the clutter from our hearts that we may hear you speak into us. We pray this boldly, I say, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So Paul begins, I believe, by, by making a statement of resolve. I will continue to rejoice. And then he moves on in the most interesting way. He says that I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help given me by the Spirit of Jesus, what happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So he's making a statement that I will continue to rejoice, but I need your help. Now in the midst of all of this, what we see is Paul again giving us an example. And I love that about Paul, that so many times his teachings actually end up being an example for us. He's in a, a circumstance that's very uncertain. He's in prison. And we don't know what kind of prison it was. We don't know how, how, how it was. But we do know that at some points in time in Paul's life, he suffered extreme hardship, beating almost to death once, or to death once, and, and floggings and nakedness and in prison and all of these things that he experienced, all because the gospel was the very center of his life. And in the midst of all of this, he, he will tell us that he's learned the secret of being content in each and every situation. We'll look at that in a few weeks. But what is the secret that Paul has learned about being content and even being joyful? The truth is, it's the gospel. It's the gospel that has arrested him and changed his life in such a way that he can continue to rejoice. And so we're going to see today that as he gives this example, that the big idea that we'll all remember is that acceptance of the gospel brings great joy. Acceptance of the gospel brings great joy. But listen, it's a choice. And Paul is letting us see that. He says, now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. So he begins by saying, I'm going to choose to rejoice. Now, as we look at this throughout the day, we're going to look at this acronym that I made up. Never heard it before, right? Joy, Jesus, others, yourself. We've never heard that before, have we? You all know, if, if you're part of Calvary, that Joy Ministries was birthed here, and that's a prison ministry that Dave and Judy Spong had up. And it's, it's an amazing ministry that... And I, I emailed him this week, had Karen email him and say, where, where did you get that from? And it was a bracelet when he met with you, Ken, and I think Carrie had a bracelet on. Is that right? Is that the story I was told? And, and it said, joy, Jesus, others, and yourself. And so I think as we take a look at this passage, we're going to see this jump off the page for us in a way that can become very, very helpful for us to grab hold of. I know that through your prayers, it's interesting, I think, that Paul in his letters, 
is such an amazing example of how to write prayers and how to pray prayers for others. But also, so many times in Scripture, Paul asks for prayers. And, and it's interesting that he says, I'm going to continue to rejoice because of your prayers, for I need your prayers. I, I, I want your prayers. And, and I think that a lot of times for us, we can think, well, Paul was a super Christian, so he had no problem at all, and, and he just went off and did what he needed to do, and he didn't need to be concerned with any prayers for himself. But Paul is an example that that's not true. So many times he says, pray that I will be fearless. Pray that I will proclaim the gospel clearly as I should. Pray for me. We have opportunity to, to understand and take hold of that. If you're on Pastor Doug's prayer emails, you know that we received word this week, just yesterday, that as he went in for his uh, follow-up, that the PSA numbers are elevating. And so there's uncertainty for him. The possibility that cancer could be spreading differently in his body. Now, we understand and know that Pastor Doug has a certain future. And if he was here with us, he'd say, I have a certain future. But in the midst of this, you know, it's kind of interesting in some ways. It's, it's like the situation with Paul, where he's writing back to this church, and he's letting them know, letting us know of his situation, how important it is for us to intercede for him, to pray that, that God will hold him fast in the midst of this. That, that he will be overwhelmed with a sense of peace that only can come from God as he walks in this uncertain situation that, that the gospel will continue and that, that it will come to the fruition that God has designed. And I think Paul gives us an example here of how important it is for us to be doing that for each other especially when there's a separation of distance. Because, listen, our default mode is to move away from that. Our default mode is to move into isolation and pull away. And so the prayers, what, what Paul seems to be indicating here is that I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Christ. So it's almost as if the prayers help bring the help of the Spirit of Christ into his life. So the spirit of Christ inside of Paul being moved by the prayers of those who, who, are, who are lifting him up are huge. So Paul says, I'm going to continue to rejoice and it's happening through your prayers. And it's going to turn out for my deliverance. Now we can say, wow, he wants out of jail. And there's a degree of truth to that. I'm certain that Paul wanted out of jail. But it's interesting, you know, we've been talking about how Paul was so steeped in the Old Testament. He was a, a Pharisee of Pharisees, and he was trained by Gamaliel, and, and I'm sure that he had such a rich knowledge of the Old Testament and, and all that was written within that. There's one other place in Scripture where this phrase is found, that, that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance, and that's in Job. And it's in Job chapter 13. And I don't know this by any means, but it makes me wonder if, if, if in the situation that 
Paul was in, he was thinking of the scriptures that he had learned and, and that he had come to know and wondered, where, where can I find some encouragement here, God, from your word? Because it's, it's the word of God that brings encouragement and hope. Verse 15, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him, Job says about God. I will surely defend my ways to his face. Indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance will turn out for my deliverance. And, and Paul makes that same claim, that this will turn out for my deliverance, my salvation. In this passage, it's really clear. It seems to me that Paul has a future look in mind. He's, he's in the midst of uncertain circumstances. They could come and kill him. He's in prison. They could do one of a terrible things to him and maybe he was experiencing terrible things each day we don't know but in the midst of those uncertain circumstances he was holding on to what is certain and what is certain is that this will not affect my salvation the Holy Spirit has sealed me for an eternal security with God and this will not impact my salvation as a matter of fact it's going to turn out for my salvation I love that as he sees that as his perspective. And then he says, I eagerly expect, eagerly expect. I love that. Paul uses that one other time in Romans. He says that we eagerly expect our adoption as sons. Again, looking forward. And he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So he's saying, I, I, I am absolutely certain that I'll have sufficient courage. Now part of this is courage for the, for the trials that he's going to go through. And he's absolutely certain that he'll have the, the sufficient courage for that so that Christ will be exalted in the body. Now he says that he, he's, he says, so that I will in no way be ashamed. That takes us back to Psalm 25. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. And this shame isn't just embarrassment or those kinds of things. This is, this is shame before the Lord at that final day. Sometimes in uncertain circumstances, we can begin to get overwhelmed with a hopelessness, and that can overtake us. No one who puts their hope in you will ever be put to shame. And again, that's where the prayers come in. So again, if I could, with Pastor Doug, I don't know if he's experiencing hopelessness. But we can pray that he will be filled with hope. And we can pray that for each person here as well. So Paul has resolved that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body. For me to live is Christ. My very existence Deriving meaning from Christ, Paul says, the, the very part of who I am, all that I am, derives its meaning from Christ, Jesus. If you cut me, I bleed Jesus. It's all that he was and all that he believed and all that he stood for. He had come to a point in his life where he had this dramatic conversion that turned him into total devotion to the Lord. 
and a total passion for the gospel to be spread. And he had come to a point where he understood clearly that to experience joy meant a change of order in his passions by putting Jesus first. So, how do I intentionally put the desires of Christ first in my life? And how am I using the situations in my life and the prayers of others to help make me more like him? How are we putting Jesus first in our lives? The second point we see when we realize that acceptance of the gospel brings joy is that we put others second. We put others second and we begin to think about what is it that others need. And we realize here that, that Paul's speaking to this church in Philippi. So he's speaking to his brothers and sisters, those who have come to a saving knowledge of Christ, those who have made the great exchange from life being focused around themselves to life being focused around God. And he's writing to them and he's saying, okay, so I, I want to put you first. I've determined that I will put you first. By putting Jesus first, it's made it clear that I'm going to put you before me. And there's three things that, that he's going to, to look at there. Because when we look at what is the greatest need that a person has, the single greatest need that each one of us and every person has is an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. It's our greatest need to be forgiven, to have absolute certainty that we have eternity with Christ and that we have his presence here and now. It's each person's greatest need. And so many times, if we're not careful, we're, we're trying to fix everybody's temporary needs in a way that, that, that causes us to move away from stepping into that. And Paul says here, I'm, I'm going to put you ahead of mine. And he says, convinced of this in verse 25, I know that I'm going to remain. It's better for you that I remain. So I'm so convinced that it's better for you that I remain that I, I know that I will. And I will continue with all of you for your progress, number one, your progress in the faith, number two, your joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow. Number three, your, your, your joy in Christ Jesus. And as you look at that, some of your translations may say boasting in Christ Jesus, or, or it may say uh, abounding glory in Christ. And that's more the idea of this passage from what I understand is that it's this idea that if I'm with you again, you're going to be able to boast in Christ. And that is so cool. What is it that you boast in? What, what is it that you boast about? Last night, had a couple here and, and they have a, a, grand, a grandbaby two, two days old, Okay. And so she brings out a phone and shows me a picture of her new car. No, she shows me a picture of that grandbaby and she's boasted all of you. You ever seen a more beautiful grandbaby? And I say, yeah, I've seen three of them that are more beautiful. But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> speaking the truth in love, of course. But, you know, but she's a close fourth. And so, you know, but, right, she's boasting and I'm boasting. Because that's what grandparents do. They boast on their grandkids. Right? But Paul gives the indication here 
that, listen, it's better that I remain with you, church in Philippi, so that, number one, your progress in the faith will advance. Because, listen, it's all about how many people can come to know Jesus. It's all about how can I influence someone who can influence someone who can influence someone who can influence someone so that we can keep this going. And it's been going for 2,000 years, and now it's our load. Amen? And so we're moving this. And Paul says, I, I want to be with you so that your, your, your faith can progress, so that your joy can progress, and so that you can boast in Christ because of what you've seen in me. And that's pretty cool. Because as people continue to see Paul, they're able to boast. Have you seen what Jesus has done in Paul? See, it's kind of like for me, I, I, go, I go to get my hair cut, right? And, and when I go to get my hair cut, I, I go to the same place all the time. And you know when you go to get your hair cut and they give you the mirror to show you the back of their head, right? I haven't looked at the back of my head in two years. Every time they pick it up, I say, no, don't, don't show me that. I, don't. I got myself convinced there's hair back there. But... Um, <laughs> So I go to get my hair cut, and I go to the same place. And I absolutely love it when I sit down, and the person who's cutting my hair says, so I met another person who goes to your church. And man, they're really special people. And I love that because then I can boast on Jesus. I can say, yeah, I know that person. They love Jesus. I can boast on Jesus because of what you do in the community. And that's my desire and my goal is that you can boast on Jesus because of what he's doing in my life. And when we get out in the community, we don't start boasting on each other. We boast on Jesus. You know? It's not like, yeah, well, you know, Greg's a really great guy. No, Jesus is really good. And Greg's good too. But Jesus is good first. And see, we begin to, to boast on that and look for ways that to happen. It's more necessary for you that I remain. As I said, the single greatest need that others have is for an intimate relationship with Christ. Genuine salvation. Now, I, I don't know if you read the Digging Deeper, but yesterday we were looking at Mark, Mark chapter 4, and we were looking at the, the four soils that are there. What is this, this thing called genuine salvation? And, and as we look at those four soils, only one of those soils is salvation. The other three aren't. And those three soils, they, Jesus talks about it, is the first one is, you know, and, and the seed is being scattered. And the seed is the good news of the gospel. The seed is the, the truth of the video that we watch. The, the seed is the truth that Jesus lived and died, was buried and rose again on the third day and will come again and, and take us back to be with him. It's good news, good news. Amen? Yeah. Amen. All right. So the seed gets scattered, and, and the first seed falls on the road. And the birds come along and pick it, and it's got no chance. And that represents a hard heart. If you have a, a hard heart, when that seed comes on, it just bounces right off. Because you don't, you don't know who God is. You don't care who God is. You're not interested in God being involved at all in your life. That seed just bounces off. The second, second soil that Christ talks about is the, the stony edge alongside the road. And the seeds fall in there, and they sprout up, but then they quickly wither. 
That's like, that's like the seed of the gospel being planted in a shallow heart. A shallow heart. And, and it's like the gospel shared. And, and, you know, God has a wonderful plan for your life, and you can go to heaven and not hell. And somebody goes, wow, that's great news. I like that. You mean I could have heaven? Yeah. And my life's going to be good? Yeah. I'm in. And he gets really excited. And then the next day something happens. It's like, not so good. And it dies away. A third heart represented is seed that's thrown in among the weeds that grow up along the side of the road. Now these weeds are, are tall and the seed goes in and, and they might sprout, but they get choked out by the weeds. This represents a crowded heart, a heart that's crowded, that all the cares of the world and the things that I'm after and the things that I desire and, and it's all about me, which is where we all start out. And, and you're thinking, well... Yeah, the Jesus thing might be good. We'll just take a little bit of that and add it to the rest, and I'll be okay. But you see, that's, that's not effective because the weeds choke that out, and it never gets a chance to grow, and it never gets a chance to bloom. The fourth soil is that soil which has been prepared, and it's been tilled, and it's been ready, and the seed falls on it, and it, and it blossoms and it produces a harvest. That's a soil that has been ready to hear the good news. And that readiness comes, could I suggest, through repentance, as a, a person turns from their, from their understanding of who God is and instead turns to the, to the truth of who God is. See, sometimes we look at repent as, okay, I'm going to turn from every one of my sins and not sin again. And then we sin again, and it's like, how did that happen? I must not have repented correctly. But, but this repentance that leads to salvation is a turning from our understanding of who God is to, to a realization of who he is. It's turning from our prideful actions and having ourselves centered on our lives to having God centered on our lives. It's repenting and turning from that and preparing the soil so that belief can come. And listen, the amazing thing about this, that only happens one way, by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that makes the ground able to accept the seed. Not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not by works so that nobody can boast. You see, so as we scatter seed, we need to be praying, Holy Spirit, Prepare this soil. Let these people understand the word that's being shared so that, so that it can take root. Clear the weeds out of their lives, Lord. Help them repent and turn to you. See, when, when you have Jesus first in your life, the first thing that you want to do is what Jesus wants you to do, and that's to tell others what's going on. And you want them to experience what you've experienced. And Paul says, it's so important. It is more necessary for you that I remain so that the, the faith can progress, the joy can progress, and the boasting about Jesus can progress. How, how would it be if the entire Walworth County, every single person was boasting on Jesus? Amen. So how do I seek what God needs me to be doing for others? And how am I working to make that a priority in my life? Listen, if you've never trusted Christ as that fourth soil, 
please, the last thing you want to do is come to Jesus and, and he says, I never knew you. Finally, what we see is yourself last. What is it that I desire? And, and Paul does such a wonderful job of this. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then in his report back to this church, he begins to share the wrestle that's going on in his heart. Because Paul had such a great understanding of what was waiting for him in heaven, he starts to share this amazing wrestle in his heart. He had such a forward view of what was to come. And so I can imagine, I don't know, but I can imagine if you were in some of the jail cells that we've seen pictures of that Paul was in, maybe you've seen those, and and I could imagine that there'd be many times he'd be sitting there, you know, in, in really awful conditions, thinking... Heaven's better than this. Heaven is better than this. Imagine he talked to God about that. God, heaven is better than this. And Paul, depending on when he was given the vision and when this letter was written, saw heaven. Jesus, God took him up to heaven, let him see it, and said, don't tell anybody what you saw, and then sent him back here. It's like, oh, so I could imagine he's going, heaven is a lot better than this. Because all we can do is try to imagine. He's actually seen it at some point in his life. I desire to depart. And be with Christ. This passage has become much more real to me in the last couple of years, as you can imagine. Karen and I, two years ago, on August 27th, went for the first time to a cancer clinic for me. And I remember Karen saying, this door is really heavy. And you know what that means. I don't want to walk through this door. Didn't know what we were going to find out. We were okay with it. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. That didn't just start. That's part of who we are. Thank you, Jesus, by your grace. But opening that door, right, Jim? Your first time? And so we go in and we hear the news and we start the treatments. And here we are two years later. It's good. I told my doctor a couple of months ago, I said, you know, in this whole process that we're continuing to walk together, there's only one piece of news you gave me that was bad. He said, really? He said, what was that? I said, you told me that my cancer was slow growing and that I was going to be here for a while. And he shook his head and he said, I I don't get it. I said, let me explain it to you. For a Christian to die is to live. We start living when we die in a new and exciting and powerful way. So 
I had started to imagine what it was going to be like to be in heaven. I had started thinking about it a lot more. I love Karen. Ooh, don't know if you knew that or not. <laughs> and I love being with her. I love Tess. I love my kids. I love my grandkids. And I love being here. But I want to go to heaven. But it's more necessary for you that I remain. <laughs> Yippee. All right. <laughs> So we adjust to that. Amen? Because it will be fruitful labor for me, Paul says. See, here's the deal. I have salvation. I'm going to heaven. And it's sure. And it's certain. And in the midst of all of my uncertainties, whatever they may be, that is absolutely certain and nothing can take that from me. Ever, ever, ever. It's held in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. And not only does Jesus hold it, God holds it, the Holy Spirit has it sealed and I'm going to heaven. Nothing takes that. But who would I be if I didn't care about everybody who didn't know that? So, it's more necessary that I remain because the light needs to shine. In the midst of whatever we're going through, the uncertainty of our circumstances, we can be absolutely certain of what we have and that certainty is what holds us and that certainty is what's inspiring us to tell as many other people as possible about the certainty they can have in the uncertain situations they're in. Because Jesus is first. Now I have, I have my high school reunion coming up in September. Ten years. <laughs> Remember, I still have hair on the back of my head. Forty years. So, I'm filling out the registration form, and they want a, a brief biography with 1,500 characters. Try to put your life in 1,500 characters. And that counts the spaces, too. Use big words. And then they wanted to know my bucket list. What's in your bucket list? I just stared at the screen for a while. What's in my bucket list? And I realized that my bucket list has changed a lot. When I was young and my world was centered around me, oh man, I could have given you a bunch of stuff to have in my bucket list. But the closer I get to Christ, the more my bucket list resembles his bucket list. My bucket list is that every person in Walworth County would know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Is that my bucket list or Jesus's? Maybe both. What's in your bucket list? The main thing is the gospel. And the gospel brings great joy as we put Jesus first, others next.
and ourselves last. So how can I refocus my desires to be eternal? Jane Gray was a 15-year-old who was appointed to the queen, uh, to be queen of, of, of England, and she served for nine days and was then thrown in prison and eventually executed. The following was written on the last page of her Greek New Testament, which she sent to her sister the night before she herself was martyred as a teenager. I have sent you a book. It is not rimmed with gold, but its contents are worth more than precious stones. It contains the laws of the Lord. It is his last will and testament. It will lead you to the path of eternal joy. You will, if you read it with an earnest desire to follow it, it will bring to you immortal and everlasting life. It will teach you how to live and die. It will win more for you than you could have gained from your deplorable father's real estate. In the same way that you should have inherited his lands, you shall be an inheritor of the riches that can never be lost or stolen. Apply yourself diligently to this book. Direct your life after it. Desire with David, good sister, to understand the law of the Lord God. Your youth does not guarantee you a long life. If God calls, the young go as quickly as the old. Learn to die. Deny the world, defy the devil, despise the flesh, and delight yourself only in the Lord. Be penitent. For your sins, but don't despair. Be steady in faith, but not presumptuous. Since you bear the name of a Christian, follow Christ's steps as nearly as you can. Take up your cross. Lay your sins on his back. Embrace him always. Regarding my death, rejoice as I do. Good sister, I shall be delivered of this corruption and put on incorruption. God, I pray that you'd help us to be overwhelmed with a sense of that which is waiting for us, so much so that we can rejoice, Lord, in what waits, as we rejoice in where we're at in this moment in time. Thank you for Paul's example, Lord God. Thank you for the absolute certainty we can have in the midst of uncertain circumstances. We pray this in your name. Amen.